This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com. Joining me, as always, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. We'll be joined in a few minutes by our friend and colleague, Sarah Langs. Today is September 1st, which means it's the day after one of the most unusual trade deadlines ever. If you've been listening to the show for the last couple of weeks, you know we've kind of settled to a format. We'll do some rants. We'll focus on a player we really like. Not today. It's the day after trade deadline day. There's a month left in the season, actually a little bit less. So we are going to dig into what happened yesterday. And I guess like off the top, Matt, I guess obviously the Padres went nuts, Mike Clevenger and everything. How did this trade deadline that we saw actually measure up to your expectations? Like I didn't expect to see a ton of big names moved. And I guess aside from Clevenger, there really, you know, there really weren't. Um, But did this kind of go maybe a little more active than you thought it would? Yes. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no question that I, I think, you know, I expected a lot of like relievers to move. Um, I didn't expect, you know, um, you know, sort of like big name players to move, but the, the one common thread you saw with the, um, with the, with the big trades is that like, you didn't see actually any like high profile rentals move, right? You didn't see Trevor Bauer move. If I'm, you know, the, the, the big names that, that got traded, um, quote unquote, big names all had at least, you know, one more or multiple years of, um, of team control remaining. So I think that's kind of the common thread that like, yes, there were deals, but the teams that were making them, they're like, well, we're not going to just give up a lot for a guy who's going to be here for maybe four weeks, or at least like, you know, Mike Clevenger was like kind of the biggest name going to the Indians to the Padres. He's got two more years of club control after this. Um, Starling Marte has a club option for next season. Um, Archie Bradley is under contract for next season. You know, I think the, the, the biggest like kind of like biggest name rental might have been quote unquote rental might have been what uh Trevor Rosenthal Robbie Ray right like this is not like so when you like I think that there, there was um I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago that like Jerry Depoto kind of said that he he in on a uh, MLB Network Radio a couple weeks ago he basically said if there's going to be trades it's going to be guys he he said more younger guys it wasn't really younger guys but it was definitely guys who are not rentals which for a long time was like all you saw at the trade deadline was like rentals you know guys are gonna be free agents getting traded but that wasn't exactly what we saw this year i enjoyed that the uh the royals actually got like a semi-decent prospect for trevor rosenthal because remember like a year ago he was pitching his way entirely out of the big leagues and he's thrown like 13 innings and now he's worth a good prospect which like yeah good for him he was once a very good reliever um and it was worth the uh, worth the effort one thing i think that struck me was the difference in the two leagues because in the American League, the eight playoff teams are more or less set. Like, yes, I guess the Tigers could overcome the Blue Jays, but I don't think they probably will. Whereas in the National League, it's the Dodgers and I guess now the Padres and a big mess of things, right? <laughs> like there's there is a million different ways the National League could go. So like in the American League, you saw some of the trades or lack of trades. Like I know Yankee fans were upset that they didn't go out and get a pitcher, but there is almost no scenario where the Yankees don't make the playoffs, right? So it's going to come down to 
are they the first seed? Are they the fourth seed? And to be totally honest, seeds don't mean much of anything. So if you're the Yankees, like, could you have used a, another back end starting pitcher? I guess, but it's really going to come down entirely to are your guys healthy or not? You know, is is LeMahieu back? Is Judge back? Is James Paxton back? Is Zach Britton back? And I, I think most of those guys will be. And that's kind of what brings me to the team aside from San Diego that I found the most interesting, which would be the Blue Jays, because the Blue Jays, I think we probably talked about this at the beginning of the season where I was like, well, if you look at the American League Central or excuse me, the American League with the new uh, postseason format, you know, these six teams, I think, are definitely have a shot. And then these four teams have no shot whatsoever. And then there's like this middle group of, of like five teams. And two of those five teams were the Angels and the Red Sox who have totally imploded. And this has left the Blue Jays in a pretty good situation. So what they did was they went out and I, I kind of liked all of these deals, I think. Like, you know, I'm not the world's biggest Taiwan Walker fan, but he was good. I love the idea of seeing if they can get Robbie Ray to throw some strikes. Uh, and Jonathan VR was really cool. He actually, I believe, added the most base running value in baseball last year. Not the most stolen bases, um, but, you know, there are ways to factor in going first to third and, and you know, second to home and all that kind of stuff. And he's cool because he's positionally versatile. So he'll play some short while Bo Shed is hurt. And then maybe he'll play some second and push Biggio to the outfield. And they have had, I believe, the worst, weakest third base production in baseball because Travis Shaw really hasn't done much. Um, so I liked what the Blue Jays did. Oh, and Ross Triplett, who I know he hasn't been that good this year, but he has been like really sneakily one of the, the better pitchers in baseball uh, over the last few years. And so I guess for them, it's a little bit about making sure you get to the playoffs because it's not guaranteed, certainly. Uh, but I also think it's a lot about, okay, who are you starting once you get there? And now if you have, you know, Ryu, uh, Shoemaker, and I mean, maybe Pearson will be healthy. Maybe it's Roark, maybe it's Walker, maybe it's Stripling. And now you've got some options. Whereas uh, I don't know who they were going to start before. I, I really, I liked what the Blue Jays did, I think, because they also didn't give up top end prospects to do any of this. Yeah, the, the Robbie Ray acquisition um, is like really, I think is an interesting one. I say this as someone who has like, you know, for whatever reason, I feel like I've owned, uh, shouldn't say owned, I've had uh, Robbie Ray on my fantasy team like six times for a variety of reasons. I think it's always just like, I always see the the, the strikeout rate has always been like, ooh, like this, you know, this guy misses bats, I want him. I mean, he's been objectively terrible this year, right? He's, he's walking 20% of batters. He's got a 7.84 ERA. Is that bad? <laughs> But I think he's like the perfect in like the new realm of how we think about starting pitchers or pitchers, um, especially in the context of the playoffs. You know, you you said this all the time. Don't think about starting pitchers or relief pitchers, just pitchers, right? So if you think of someone like like um, Robbie Ray, it's like okay, I need someone to get me ten outs against some good hitters, right? Maybe not even ten outs. Maybe it's seven outs, right? He has high end stuff. And the kind of guy that I think, like, you know, this is this is obviously like what I'm about to say is definitely kind of just like a little. It's a, we're getting we're getting into the soft factor zone here, but definitely the kind of guy with his stuff. It just feels like it's we've seen it time and again, a little change of scenery, a new pitching coach who sees something a little bit different. Who's like, hey, actually, why don't you do this instead? Like, I see you've been doing this. Like, you know, why don't you try this? And like, obviously, the, the Blue Jays went out and proactively acquired him. They think he's better than a pitcher with a seven eight four ERA, and. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a guy who ends up getting getting um, 
getting big outs in the playoffs. Um, I also could see him getting lit up in the playoffs, but like there's, there's, there's enough upside here. It wasn't that, I mean, 2017, yes, that three years ago, he was like by like, you know, I think by fan graphs war, one of like the top 20 pitchers in baseball and like, you know, a high end, like a 30, a 30 plus percent strikeout rate in, in three straight seasons. So like he can miss bats. Um, don't, as long as you're not like, Oh, I need this guy to give me six innings. If you're like, Oh, I just need this guy to give me two to three innings. I think he could be, a very valuable piece and kind of like a big, a big X factor um, in the playoffs. The other guy that, that you mentioned before, really interesting for the Blue Jays is VR. Cause like the Marlins made a pair of trades, like basically they went down at about the same exact um, moment. Um, and actually I think Jonathan Yard was playing against the Mets and got taken out of the game. He'd actually just made like a really nice catch and then just got taken out of, to end an inning. Um, and then he got taken out of the game and it's kind of surprising because the Marlins were a team that people thought, okay, they're going to be set. Like when the season began, when people thought who are going to be the sellers, there won't be that many. People thought the Marlins would be sellers. Um, and yes, they traded VR, but they also went out and got Starling Marte. And part of the reason they traded VR is because Isan Diaz, who had elected not to play, has apparently um, petitioned to be reinstated, kind of like um, uh, Nick Marcakis was, and he's going to be back. So like the 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 he's going to be allowed back, as I understand it. So the Marlins have like a built-in replacement for VR. Granted, Isan Diaz to this point his major league career has not been um, uh, a difference maker, but it was interesting to see them say, okay, we're going to go out and get like a big name, you know, sort of like a, a big name player. And Starling Marte has been very good for um, the D-backs this year. So to see them go out and acquire Marte, who's got a reasonable club option for 2020, um, at the same moment they trade away VR was a very interesting uh, pair of transactions for Miami. Well, actually, as we are speaking now, there's kind of news coming out that suggests the Miami Marlins are calling up Jazz Chisholm to the majors, who is, uh, I guess, more shortstop, but he might play some other infield spots as well. He was the guy they got from the last time they traded with Arizona, which was last year when they sent uh, Zach Gallen to Arizona. And he's actually been really good. So Chisholm has a lot to live up to. I also think it's going to be entertaining if you watch the Marlins game tonight. Do you know who the Marlins are playing tonight? The Toronto Blue Jays and old friend Jonathan VR, <laughs> who was flying to Miami. Um, yeah, and, and I think I saw it reported. I don't know if it's actually officially happened yet that the Blue, uh, excuse me, the Marlins uh, plan on picking up Marte's option for next season, uh, $12.5 million, because I previously saw it reported that the Diamondbacks did not plan to do that, which I thought was a little surprising because, you know, obviously we know with the lack of fans and the pandemic and everybody's payrolls are going to be a mess. Um, but that didn't seem too much to me for one year of a, a very good outfielder. Um, I also thought it was interesting as well because Marte uh, unfortunately lost his wife a couple of months ago to a heart attack, which is very sad. And he's got three kids with him and thought about not playing. And uh, I saw it reported some teams were a little uncertain about asking him to uproot his family uh, right now during all of this. But with the Marlins, he's actually as close as he can possibly be to his native Dominican Republic. And by picking up that option, now he knows where he's going to be for next year. Um, so I like that a lot. I, I, I proudly didn't pick the Marlins to finish last this year. I know that's not like the hottest take in the entire world, but when you look at the other four teams, that division was a mess, right? You could have, I think, reasonably picked any of those four teams to win the division. Right? And I picked the Phillies to finish last which I'm not sure that's actually going to happen. But if you look at the Phillies bullpen, I guess uh, it might happen. Although I will say one under the radar trade that I found really interesting that I don't think anybody paid attention to was the Phillies traded for David Phelps reliever from uh, Milwaukee. And he's been a guy, he's 
you know, Yankees, Marlins, he's kind of kicked around for a bit. And I don't think he's like suddenly any great shakes. But when I looked at the his numbers this year, no pitcher in baseball, at least among those guys who had thrown 30 innings last year and 10 innings this year, nobody in baseball has had a higher increase in strikeout rate. Last year, he was at 24%. This year, he's at 42%. And he's done that by cutting his walk rate by two thirds. And if you were to look at the StatCast metrics and you were to look at the percentile rankings for exit velocity, his says 100th. So he's doubled the strikeouts and he's cut his walks and he's not allowing any hard hit contact whatsoever. I guess the one red flag there would be that the Brewers uh, were willing to get rid of him. But there's that. I really liked that for the Phillies. The other things that were interesting to me were the, the teams that didn't make trades and my differing reactions to those teams, right? Like we talked about the Yankees not making a trade. Like that makes sense to me. The Dodgers not making a trade. Um, that made sense to me too. Like there's no such thing as- Well, a- they made a trade. They traded Stripling, but they didn't, well, make, like, a fine. They didn't acquire anybody. They didn't acquire anybody, <laughs> yeah. yes. But uh, I mean, and they've they've gone out the last couple of deadlines and they've made big trades, right? They got you Darvish a couple years ago, uh, Rich Hill and Josh Reddick the year before that, Manny Machado. Um, I guess they made their big trade this year in February when they went out and got literally mucky bets. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it's it's funny. Like they could have made some deals. And I think what they've really done here, and we saw this last winter uh, before 2019, in the trade where they sent Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig to Cincinnati and they got, you know, a couple of prospects who I, I don't think people thought enough of at the time. Well, those prospects were uh, Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs and Jeter Downs has ended up being part of the Mookie Betts trade. And I think they did this again because Stripling had been a valuable guy, but he'd been surpassed now by Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin. And he got traded for two prospects. We don't know who the second one is yet, but the first one is like pretty legitimate guy you know like this is how the dodgers keep churning it's not just payroll it's it's turning like good players into good prospects as well the one team that did nothing that was really surprising to me is the atlanta braves and somehow they did not get a starting pitcher because i still think they might miss the playoffs they their starting rotation goes like this max freed and you can't see me doing the shrug emoji but if you could it'd be that right mike soroka's hurt Fulton Hevich is gone. Uh, you know, they Felix. Did, they, did, they did acquire uh, Orioles opening day star, starter Tommy Malone. So, you know, there's. So, <laughs> about that. I don't know if you know this, but I called the Phillies Braves game on ESPN on Sunday night where Tommy Malone started. And let me tell you, when you put up a 10 spot in the second inning, as the Braves did, and that's not enough to win the game, I mean, they won, but they required more than 10 runs. That tells you a little bit about the Tommy Malone experience. So, I, I was stunned they didn't get anybody. Because they they needed got brought Stripling right like where were they on that like that that was the one that was surprising to me it definitely and they, and they were also they were supposedly rumored in to, to be in on like the the Mike Clevenger discussion then like that's I mean Clevenger would su- seemingly hold a lot of appeal for a team like Atlanta because he is under team control for two more years, years after this so he's not a rental so even if you give up one of your top outfield um, prospects such as Christian Posh is it Posh or Pash I'm not sure uh, Pache I believe Pache Pache Christian Pache or Drew Waters. You still have the other guy, and obviously you still have Acuna as an outfield kind of centerpiece for a while. Um, so I was surprised if you know, if not, like obviously someone like Ross Stripling would have been within their within their um, within their like sort of like uh, bandwidth, you'd think. But even Clevenger to go kind of go above because the the Padres have pretty good starting pitching, right? Like obviously every team could always use more starting pitching because like there's there's just you know no matter what he's going to be you know you can always upgrade on your fifth starter, right? Um, 
So um, I, for Padres, it was kind of like, not like a, not like a, you know, an embarrassment of riches, but like they, they, they were well situated to be like a, a legitimate playoff challenger with the rotation they had. Um, but obviously the move for, for, for Clevenger, and we'll get more to the Padres. Um, we're not, we don't intend to bury the lead, but we'll get more to the Padres when, uh, when Sarah Langs joins us in a few minutes. But like the, the Braves really needed that, that starting pitcher. So it was definitely a bit surprising that, yeah, if you don't want to, you don't, don't want to give up the prospect for, for, um, for Clevenger, I guess I could see it, but there were other kind of second tier names um, out there that um, could have been had, but um, they, they did not, did not make a move. Before we bring in Sarah to talk about the Padres, let's just talk about the other end of that deal for a second. Were you were you surprised that the Padres or the Indians traded Clevenger and still didn't get that top end outfielder they needed? Like Josh Naylor's fine. He's probably an upgrade, but we've been talking about their lack of outfield production for, I don't know, three years now, I guess. And uh, they still never seem to do anything about it. Like the, the prospects they got, uh, you know, Gabriel Arias is supposed to be very good. Owen Miller, right? These are these are good names, but I don't think the team is better for the rest of the year, certainly, and they still don't have enough outfield offense. That was surprising to me. Definitely, um, I was. I sort of assumed, like, okay, if you're going to create Clevenger, you're going to get like that masher that you need, like a you know upgrade your outfield. Because the thing is also for the Indians, and maybe that's what they're thinking with Naylor is like it won't take much to upgrade our outfield because it's been so, um, shall we say, underwhelming. Uh, I also thought there might be an opportunity at the moment when they were like, okay, we just added three or four prospects. Maybe we'll actually use some of our prospect, like you know. I don't want to say surplus, but, um, you know, you know, whatever, the, 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 our bulk now to go flip, you know, maybe not the guys we acquired, but guys we already had in our system to go get an outfielder. Because it, exactly, it really, I mean, the Indians outfield has like, you know, like a 600 OPS as like a group. It's just, it's just not. Did you, did you see what Anthony Kastrovitz tweeted the other day? I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said that the Indians triple slash line this year from the outfield is more or less identical to Bob Feller's career line as a hitter. <laughs> so which should yeah, tell you something it's it's it, that's a weird one just the, the, to, to the same way that like it wouldn't have been hard for the braves to upgrade their rotation it would not have been hard for the um indians to upgrade their outfield and so it definitely surprised me that even if it wasn't like you know go out and get like uh, a star an impact player because there weren't really necessarily like a lot of like impact outfielders to be had you still would have thought there would have been something more than just you know josh naylor because they made the rotation weaker and they didn't really improve their team for, for 2020 kind of sends a signal to me that like the retooling is beginning and that like, there is a very good chance Francisco Lindor will get traded this offseason. That's actually the signal it sends to me not to be a downer. Finally, a, a quick shout out to my favorite tra- trade of 2016, the Rockies acquiring Kevin Pillar. We've been saying for years that what they desperately need is like an elite defensive center fielder, someone who can cover all that ground. And Pilar was at one point that guy. Now I think he's, got that rep but he's more like decent in the outfield than he is above average but you know still a trade worth doing because he's got a little bit of pop and maybe that outfield will help him i don't quite understand uh what the rockies are doing i don't know ever i guess but they have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball as a pitching team and part of that obviously is where they play but i don't know how you make the playoffs like that um but i guess uh, at least they've got a an upgrade in the outfield all right let's take a quick break and let's bring in sarah langs Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimension podcast. Matt and I are very pleased to be joined by our friend and colleague, Sarah Langs of MVF.com. Hello, Sarah. How did you enjoy your trade deadline day? Hey, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I spent a lot of time in a spreadsheet, which we're going to talk about shortly, but it was fun. You know, I ate dinner at 11 p.m. So, you know, things happen. 
Wait, wait a minute. Are you suggesting that there are days you don't spend most of your time in a spreadsheet? <laughs> Every now and then, usually multiple spreadsheets. Like usually there are a couple different things to look at throughout a day, but this was a uh, one one track mind kind of thing. I saw as I was uh, driving home yesterday that Matt had asked you if you could look into the flurry of moves that the Padres had made and try to put into some sort of context, just like how many guys went in and went out. And you came up with some really interesting stuff. Yeah. So um, with the help of the Elias Sports Bureau, I was able to put together, basically look at every single team to acquire at least seven players who were major leaguers that year um, in a single season. So the reason that we're saying major leaguers was really to quantify, you know, this haul that the Padres got. They got Mike Clevenger, they got Mitch Moreland, Austin Nola, Jason Castro, Dan Altavilla, Trevor Rosenthal, Greg Allen, Taylor Williams. They also got Austin Adams, um, but he hasn't pitched in the majors this year because he was hurt. So he's definitely part of the hall, definitely part of everything we're talking about, but he's not part of this specific note. So, and to be and to be clear, we're speaking about like it's the monthly because like this year we're August thirty first, but like we're talking about the trade deadline was August thirty first this year. It's usually July thirty first. We're talking about the players acquired in the month leading up to the trade deadline, right? So most years it would have been July first. This year it's August first. Am I getting that right? Exactly. So what I what I went through was that all Elias was able to give me was. Uh, total number of major leaguers acquired in a calendar year. So what I then did was I looked at every team to get at least seven at any point in a calendar year. And I went to every July and I went into August 1st for 2016 when the deadline was uh, on August 1st and then obviously August for this year and figured out how many of the players that they acquired in that one month. So the one month leading up to the deadline were major league players with that definition that they had played in the majors at some point that year. And it Took a long time to go through all of those, as I mentioned, but it was totally worth it because those eight guys, so again, that's everybody except for Austin Adams. I'm sorry to Austin Adams. Um, those eight players are the most major leaguers that any team has acquired in the month leading up to the deadline since the deadline moved to July in 1986. There were only three teams to even get seven guys who were at that major league level, and it was the 06 Reds, the 2003 Yankees, and the 2000 Orioles. And I wrote about this on MLB.com today, and I dug into sort of the situations of those teams. And I think that the Padres are pretty unique. The Orioles in 2000 were definitely sellers. The 2003 Yankees were already really good, already re uh, leading their division. Obviously, the big name there is that they got Aaron Boone, which led to making it to that World Series. Um, and the 2006 Reds were kind of middling, trying to be there. They were tied for the division lead entering July, but by the time you got towards the end of July, they weren't quite in it and they didn't end up making the playoffs. So it's pretty unprecedented in a lot of ways. And these are really good major leaguers, as we discussed. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm glad you I'm glad you specified, sorry, Matt, the, the way you did it, um, because I, I saw just a few minutes ago that Ben Lindbergh tried to do this as well, and he did it in an incredibly different way at the ringer, and he looked for uh, three-day spans, most combined players traded for or traded away. And so this, this Padres run over the final three days, 26 was the most, only one other team in baseball history uh, had more than 20, and it was 24 by the December 2014 San Diego Padres. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you guys both did this two entirely different ways and both came up with the same team at the top. But I think it's an interesting comparison because I remember during that winter of 2014-15 where the Padres were collecting all these headlines because they traded for Matt Kemp and they traded for Will Myers and they signed James Shields and they traded for Craig Kimbrell. 
and everybody was going nuts. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, uh, this team's not any good. Like their infield is awful. Like this is not going to work out. And it actually ended up killing them because they traded away Trey Turner and they traded away Max Fried and they traded away Yasmani Grandal. But I, I feel differently this time. Like I think this team was already good. And now I think like they're really good. Like I think they are probably the second best team in the National League behind the Dodgers. Like would, would either of you disagree with, with that assertion? No, uh, but I'm not even sure that I would have had them much lower than that even before this. I think this helps a lot. I think Clevenger is really the biggest thing to me. When you look at their pitching, just having one more reliable starter and really good starter, as we know, or who has been at times, is really huge for them. But some of the other moves, I'm not sure that they're, you know, huge incremental improvements, but I think that it's just, you know, these are good players. These are solid major league players and That's why I mentioned, you know, with the other teams to acquire so many players and your comparison, you know, to what they did back in December 2014, which I remember very well, um, you know, the the context matters and where you're at when you choose to make these moves really matters. And they didn't we'll see what effect it has on their future, but it's a little bit different when you're looking at almost certainly making the playoffs this season and potentially having a really deep run. But, but that's, I mean, for me, that's why I think, like I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, why like what they did was, was while it was like sort of go for broke, it was also pretty like thoughtful because, you know, the the best player they got is a guy that they're going to have around for a couple of years. Um, and they gave up some prospect debt, but they have a lot, you know, they have one of the more well-regarded farm systems in baseball and they didn't have to give up Mackenzie Gore, you know, the top pitching prospect. And uh, Luis Patino has been pitching for them and they didn't have to give up... Um, uh, CJ Abrams, their top pick from a year ago. So it's like they still held on to a lot of um, their uh, their their best young pieces. The, the other piece of the of what they did was the biggest hole in the Padres was was catching. They were getting basically no offense from their catchers, and they went out and acquired two catchers: Jason Castro, reliable um, veteran, like totally. You kind of know what you're getting, and then. To me, this was like kind of in many ways the most interesting trade um, was they traded for Austin Nola from the Mariners. And the, the key piece they gave up was Taylor Trammell, who they had acquired, what, a year ago in the um, – which trade? Was the three-way trade? Was it the um, – Yeah, in the Framel trade. Puy- uh, Puig was that that trade, I think. It's yeah. hard. It, it, Same trade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that trade. Who two years ago, he was the MVP of the Futures game in 2018, was like he had a bad year in 2019, but like – is still a top 100 prospect, really highly regarded. And we're talking about Austin Nola, a catcher who's 30 years old, who's been excellent this year, but we're still talking about a guy with, you know, 381 career plate appearances, and he's 30 years old. Um, I don't even know what to think about Austin Nola. What do you, are, are, should, are we supposed to believe in him? What, what is your take on, on him? It feels like a lot to give up for a catcher with that sort of pedigree or lack thereof. Yeah, I mean... It does, but I think that catch, catcher was just such a black hole for them offensively right now. And, you know, it was Luis Torrens and then Austin Hedges, who, you know, we love for the framing, but obviously the batting average and everything else is really not there offensively. I had definitely been sort of noticing, you know, okay, Austin Nola, this is not necessarily what I expected out of him, especially this year. Um, it was really fun. I feel like the Mariners offense has had a lot of fun moments and he's been part of a lot of those. So I hope that it ends up being worth it for them. But I definitely think the age thing is pretty interesting. I mean, you know, JT Real Muto, it's different. He didn't debut at nearly as old of an age, uh, but he did debut when he was like, 
23 plus, you know, so he's not necessarily one of these young, young phenoms. So not exactly the same type of comparison, but I guess that the idea of being a catcher and being a well-rounded catcher who can really handle a pitching staff, it's hard to necessarily expect a guy who's super young to be able to do that. So maybe we should have more, you know, understanding for a guy being older and getting to this point at this point. Yeah, I think you also have to consider it as a as a new catching tandem, right? Because uh, Castro's got pretty big platoon splits, you know, so he can definitely come in and, and hit righties and he's good behind the plate, if clearly not as good as Hedges is. Whereas with Nola, yeah, it's it's hard to know how much to believe in him. But if you look at the underlying metrics, uh, he is above average in making contact. Like his strikeout rate is low and he's above average in making hard hit contact. And I guess that's what teams are looking at now. There's there's something I saw and I didn't have a chance to like verify it, but it was from someone on Twitter who I trust. So I hope this is actually true. Uh, they said that no team in history had won the World Series after acquiring a new starting catcher in the middle of the season. Now, take that with a grain of salt because I did not independently verify that. But it sounds like something that might be right. And uh, that is kind of interesting. I, w- I wonder if that just doesn't happen that much or if that really goes back to needing to know your pitchers. And, and it, it may be the case and in Nola's defense, right? Let's just say he is even like a league average catcher for the next like two or three seasons. He's probably he's going to be an upgrade on what the Padres were putting out there. And it's only his second season. So he actually is under club control for a few more years. So it's again, it's another sort of a, the trade I was referring to with like Clevenger. Where it's like this is a guy that theoretically is going to be a piece for them. Um beyond just 2020 and that's sort of like you know the 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 sort of the trend i think with with um these deals that the padres made um another team i kind of wanted to bring up that made a couple of uh trades uh was the the reds you know the reds went out and they got uh reliever archie bradley from the d-backs and outfielder um brian goodman from the angels didn't really feel like the reds needed more outfielders but here we are but archie bradley is a guy who maybe his Production, his reputation exceeds his production. Um, I'm looking at his, his his stat page, and like you know, a couple of years ago, I think he might have been an All Star team, and um, he had that famous triple in the wild card game, which was kind of surprising and cool. And he's got the cool beard, but like the the like the st- the stack the secondary metrics, the stat cast metrics are not that kind to him, and um, maybe even like they're they're pretty ugly this year, isn't that right, Sarah? Yeah, it's funny because I was getting ready to chat with you guys and I was like, oh, I'm going to say Archie Bradley. I'm going to say that the Reds, you know, had a great deadline for where they are. They're right on the border. If you look at playoff odds and this is a good kind of, you know, help for their bullpen and all of that. And then I went to Archie Bradley's StatCast page and I saw exactly what you're alluding to. He's a 7.08 expected ERA, which is just based on quality of contact, like all the other uh, expected stats from StatCast. That's in the bottom 8% of the league. It's Yeah, eighth percentile. Um, His ERA is 4.22. Obviously, ERA can be kind of deceiving um, for relievers because they pitch in such short bursts and everything else. And, you know, how much are the nine inning comparison seems so silly. But I trust the expected stat. And uh, that's a really large number. And if you look at it, I mean, I don't know, 52% of the contact he's allowed has been in the sweet spot zone. So eight to 32 degree launch angle. He has a 14% barrel rate. It was 5% last year. So I do think it ends up being one of those where the sort of name brand perhaps exceeds what you should expect out of him. But I, I really didn't even... I wasn't fully aware of that until I went to his page today. I'll say that. Um, so that's interesting. And I just saw that I think Goodwin is going to play uh, left field, uh, David Bell was saying, until at least until Senzel is back. And it is funny because we talked about the Reds in the offseason so much as having so many outfielders, as you 
as you mentioned, and here they are getting another one. So I, I think that my opinion of what the Reds did kind of changed within the last half hour or so. Before before I ask you another question, I have news that is really interesting only to Matt and to nobody else. Uh, Matt, the Orioles are playing the Mets tonight, and the Orioles have promoted Dilson Herrera, who is expected to be in the lineup tonight, against the New York Mets. I figured that you would appreciate that. You think that only he would appreciate that? That is very much a note for me because Dilson Herrera was the first player to play for the Mets who was younger than me. And that was so oh cool to me <laughs> in 20, I think it was 2015 or 2016 when he debuted. So I, yeah, so I went to Twitter when you said you had news and I saw that and I knew exactly what you were going to say. I can see we both follow Joe Treza. So uh, that's well, good news. I actually I actually think the, 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 the Reds are sort of like, it's a kind of similar to what the... Um, the Mets did on the, the, the deadline where it's sort of like a couple of cosmetic moves just to be like, Hey, we're trying to do something, but like also not really anything of significance that will move the needle in any meaningful way. Um, where it's like, okay, we did something like we, we were supposed to compete this year. We still think that maybe we can have like one, like, you know, six game winning streak and get back into like the eighth playoff spot. But like, we don't want to like give up a lot to have to do it. So we'll kind of move the deck chairs around and hope that like, you know, something's changed. Yeah, the, I was wondering if either of you had any idea what to make of the Texas Rangers, who traded away Mike Miner, you know, had a million rumors about Lance Lynn and didn't trade him, didn't trade Joey Gallo. And it's like, if you trade Lynn, you might as well trade Gallo and blow it all up. But they didn't. And I'm not entirely sure I see their path to contention. They've had three straight losing seasons. This year is going to be a fourth. Going into the season, it seemed clear their starters would be good. Uh, and other than Lynn, they mostly haven't been good. And it seemed clear their offense would be pretty lousy, which is true. Uh, where are you, Sarah, on having kept Lance Lynn? Obviously, we don't know what the offers were, so there's that. Um, but he's been really it's like shockingly good this year. Yeah, he's been very shockingly good. And if you look at some underlying numbers, it indicates that he may not be there forever. So that does seem to me like a perfect type of deadline deal. But having seen what the prices were on some of these other players, by the time it hit 4 o'clock or you know, 4.30 when we finally heard everything yesterday... I just sort of figured that the price must have been too high of what they were asking and they didn't want to be in a situation where they weren't happy with the with the return that they got. But I agree with, with what you say about, you know, maybe not so much by way of direction for them. And I honestly felt that a little bit entering the year. I mean, I know there was some optimism with, okay, Gallo's going to be healthy. And at that point, we thought Miner and Lynn were both going to have good years like they did last year. But they were in it towards the end on Josh Donaldson, as far as I remember, and when they went out and got Todd Frazier instead because they didn't have Josh Donaldson, to me, that was already, you know, what is this AL West going to look like and what are they going to be there? And I, I continue to wonder that. I didn't think they would trade Gallo, though, as you say, if you trade Lynn, you might as well have done so. But, you know, I, I want them to be good when he's still there because I want to see him hit massive playoff homers. I wanted him to get traded to Colorado. That's what I wanted to see. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, you know, like a lot of, you know, I, 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 I love uh, Joey Gallo's aesthetically pleasing home runs. He hits, you know, absolute missiles. Um, and he's a fun player in that regard. I mean, I could see not trading him. I mean, if you look at his career stats, like he's basically had one standout year, which was last year, um, where he had a weighted runs created plus of 144, where 100 is league average. But it was only 70 games because he got hurt. Um, and the previous year, he was 108. The year before that, he was 119. This year, he's 97. If you think that like maybe he is the 144 player, you're kind of selling low on Joey Gallo right now because maybe that wrist injury last year, which is like you know can take a long time for power hitters to recover from, um, you know, 
it's it's almost like if like you know, there were rumors that the Rays were kicked, you know, were like looking into Joey Gallo. It's something like if the Rays are looking into him, it's like I'm not trading him. Like that means like they know something that <laughs> um, that, that that I don't know, and I don't want to. I don't want to be the team that, may, that that's made to look foolish by the Rays. Lynn, however, I'm kind of surprised they didn't move, but you never know exactly how the the offers are panning out and the timing. So it's hard to really judge as an outsider. I will say that like you know, you know it must be frustrating for those um, in the Rangers front office. You know, you're trying to open up a new stadium. You're trying to put a contender on the field. Of course, you don't, you're not able to get Donaldson. Uh, and then the pandemic hits. You don't get to open your stadium with fanfare. The team just kind of just does not pan out at all. Minor doesn't seem to be the guy that he was the last couple of years. And now you're kind of hoping maybe, okay, in 2021, maybe we can kind of like move things around and still have Lance Lynn and Gallo can turn around and we can contend and open the new stadium. And so it's it's got to be a weird spot. I think they, the, um, the new ballpark kind of hangs over um, everything that they're doing and the fact that like next year is theoretically going to be at least some sort of like opening to the general public. Um, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but presumably that's kind of part of the part of the thinking as they, they look forward to next season. Before we go, we should touch on the largest trade of the entire deadline. The Mets have reacquired Todd Frazier, which I assume is done mostly to be a crowd pleasing thing. I don't know if you guys know this. Todd Frazier is from Tom's River, New Jersey. And that, that, I grew up. The joke being a joke of like Tom being like from New Jersey is like almost like become a non-joke at this point. I was so like I grew up the next town over. I'm from Brick, New Jersey. It's literally the next town over. Like my first girlfriend was from Tom's River. I know it very well. And the people who are from thousands of miles away from various parts of the country who now know like a relatively nondescript Jersey Shore town because of this never ceases to blow my mind. (laughs) I think it was Twitter's favorite move of the deadline. I mean, it was also one of those ones that came in, I think it was like right after 4 p.m. So you get the whole like, wait, the Mets did make a move. And then it was, wait, it's Todd Frazier. And it's then, Todd Frazier. Yep. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Sarah, very much. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Thanks again to Sarah Langs. Catch you soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.